Welcome to I'll Marry You, a podcast with me, Olivia Coleman, full of tips and tricks from the UK wedding scene, interviews with industry experts, and a whole lot of oversharing. I'm recording this intro from my living room, which looks out onto the road, and there's a lot of youths. They've just finished school, and they're just hanging out, and I think a lot of them are vaping. Oh, there she is. She's vaping. They're like 14. I want to go and give them some life advice, but I don't know if it's going to go down well. <laughs> I hope you're all well and you had a good week. I hope you all had a lovely Valentine's and you were treated like absolute royalty. I am so excited for this week's episode because it's pretty fresh off the press. Hot off the press? Fresh off the block? I don't know. Um... It's uh, an interview that I recorded fairly recently with this incredible woman. I can't tell you. Her name is Tanya Pushkin. And she's called, she called from NYC. She slid into my DMs all the way from New York. And why did that make me feel instantly nervous? I don't know. But you know what it's like for us country bumpkins in Britain. NYC is so cool. So I was excited and nervous. And then I researched into her and she is very impressive she is called the vow whisperer so now what she does predominantly is she helps create the perfect vow for engaged couples for their wedding day but she also officiates weddings as well and she does coaching and she does all of this stuff because she's had a background in film and tv she's i told you very impressive then she did some corporate i say bits and pieces but they were also very impressive you really should google her tanya bush pushkin <laughs> She's, she's amazing and she was so lovely and she was so wonderful and so inspiring and her voice, I said to her, your voice is like chocolate, but it really is. I could listen to her all day long. So I hope you enjoy listening to her and um, I would love to hear what you think. I'd love your feedback. She's just, I just think she's wonderful and I'm just, I'm so lucky every time I get to talk to these amazing people because it's an absolute dream bloody come true. Enjoy my interview with the gorgeous Vow Whisperer you for a while and 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 I and you're all the way from New York that's not that far it's far it's where very cool people go and I've been oh. researching you and oh. reading about you and you're so fabulous oh you're so sweet what a wonderful way for me to start the day I know it's middle of your day but start of mine well it's not it's 9 a.m with you, you isn't it yes whereabouts in New York do you live I am near Central Park on the Upper West Side Oh, how when was the know. last time you were here? I tell you what, I went to New York October 2019. Ah. Because we had a friend who was getting married in uh, Rhode Island. And so we went to Boston and then we went to the wedding and then we went to New York, my husband and I. And I was pregnant at the time. Okay. And it was, he. I'd been a few times before, he'd never been. And it was the most magical trip. And I can't help but thinking since that because lockdown happened so soon after that and you saw all these pictures of like nothing going on and it's just right. the streets were dead. And I yeah. remember saying to my husband, like, are we, did we go just weeks before it changed forever? But I assume it's gone back to how it's always been, right? It's only recently that I can say walking down the street that the energy is back. Oh, really? It took a long, long time, yeah. And the thing is there were hundreds of thousands of New Yorkers who left 
and they've been moving back now. So where did they go? Just to the suburbs or? Suburbs or another state entirely or who knows. But there was a mass exodus of New York. I mean, rental apartments, the prices went way down so that people could come back and be motivated and enticed to come back. But the energy, the New York energy, it's only recent that it's, I feel that it's back. Really? And did you Mm. stay there the whole time through lockdown? Yes. We have a house in Connecticut, about an hour and a half from here, which is a beautiful house in the country. But quite transparently, what happened was the second the lockdown happened, people were offering us ridiculous amounts of money to rent the house. But insane money. Was Was it even a rental property normally or not? We weren't quite sure. We had just finished renovating it. And we weren't quite sure what we were doing. And suddenly this lockdown happened. And then suddenly we were offered money that no one could ever have imagined. And we said, yes. Of course. So, Take so it. Give me the yeah, money. Yeah. So we stayed in New York. And I did not leave my apartment for months out of fear. Really? Just, yeah. Yeah. I was petrified. I just didn't leave. Were you vulnerable? Were you considered vulnerable? Or was it just everything that made you so scared? Everything that just frightened me enormously. We were really smacking that, you know. I I have friends who, actually in Britain um, and in France, who live in small little towns and villages where it wasn't the same thing as New York shutting down, you know. But it was, yeah, I was terrified. I mean, but it would have been terrifying because like I say, we were there so soon before. And and something I love, New York's one of my favorite top three cities in the world. Really? And something I love about it is the fact that it is the city that never sleeps. And it is just the buzz and the people, no matter where you go, what time of day, it's just, it's, it's like nothing else on earth. Yeah. Yeah, And then you saw these pictures and you saw on the news that these streets were just, there was no one there. And I can't, exactly. ima- I can't imagine a time ever before and ever again where it will be like that in such a place that is so normally so vibrant and, and busy. Okay, the only other time is September 12th, 2011. Oh, yeah. The day after. Yeah. That also. But here, yes, COVID, Fifth Avenue, Park Avenue, these massive streets. You wouldn't see a car for 10 minutes, you know. Did you go for walks around? When I started to feel a little less frightened, yes, Mm. I did. Mm. Yeah. I can, I just, I can't even imagine. I mean, it is, Mm. I find it fascinating. And I think that in the next sort of 5, 10, 15, 20 years, the psychiatrists and doctors and the way people are going to look back on it and evaluate the impact that had. Because Mm. I feel like, I don't know about you, but I feel like half of me is like it happened yesterday and half Mm. of me is like it never happened. And it's just a weird thing that is just really bizarre. That Was that real? Was that real? I I think so many people feel that way. Or it's so long ago. Or I've blocked it out of my mind. Mm. I don't want to remember. There are all kinds of PTSD. Mm. A lot of it, I'm sure. And in, and with children, especially as well. I mean, you yes. say about your friends living in the countryside. I I had my little girl four days before lockdown. Mm. And so 
we came out of the hospital and we decided within three days that we were going to up sticks. And I mean, I live in a town. It's it's pretty quiet, but it's still a town. We were right. going to up sticks and move in with my mum and dad who live on a farm in the middle of nowhere. Right. And actually, and I sort of feel bad saying it out loud, but actually what resulted was four, four six months of probably one of the best summers of my life to be yeah, honest because yeah. we were in the countryside and we went for walks and my whole family came down from London and there was like it was like a commune and I had a newborn baby so to me my life would have been turned upside down anyway right but like you say to us we could go for a walk in the field and not see anyone COVID or no COVID so right. it didn't feel right you could ignore it almost whereas when you went into a town if you lived in the city you, you can't ignore it can you it's there constantly tanya i'm is it tanya pushkin yes is that how you say your surname yes you're not originally from america originally from brussels correct yes i was born and raised in brussels and moved here because my father was an orchestra conductor and he had started his career in europe he was american he had started his career in europe met my mother who was a holocaust survivor german slash British, actually, and married and and raised my brother and I until he felt he wanted to come back home and continue his career here. So that's why we moved. And how old were you when you left Brussels? Twelve. Oh, wow. So it really was your childhood, really? Yes. Yeah. And do you speak French? Yeah, it's my native language. Do you speak Flemish? (laughs) Nee. No. (laughs) No. But funnily enough, I'm married to a Dutchman. Oh, really? Yes. So, yeah. Yeah, it's funny. So do you come back to Europe often? Do you visit often? Yeah, I'm going on Friday. That's right. Yeah, and I'm stopping by London and going then to Brussels to say hello, and then Amsterdam where my daughter lives. I I will see you have a connection. So you have an excuse now to, we have many excuses to come back to Europe. Yes, yes, yes. And Do you enjoy it I here? Mean, yeah, a few times a year, at least. Europe, even though, yes, I'm American by this point, my heart, my heart is in, actually in, in the south of France, specifically. Oh, is it? Yeah, very much so. You're very exotic and, and oh, God. refined, Olivia. aren't you? <laughs> oh, stop. I can be a burping, bletching. No, I don't believe that for a second. Oh, yes. Ask my husband who's not around right now, but yes. I don't believe that for a second. When I I listen to you on Instagram, I feel like your voice is just like chocolate. It's just like, oh, I just, I could listen to you all day. Do you, see, now, do you have a, is that your telephone voice? Do you have like a specific performing voice that you put on? Do you actually sound like... Rough as ass, do you normally? <laughs> I can, but I don't. No, my normal. This is me. Um, yeah, it's it's me. But I can look. I was an actress. I can do. I can be a very crass. You're vulgar. a comedian. Yeah, can be. can be. Something I something else I read about you is you went to Juilliard. I did. I did. Um, Tell me about that. Was that just unbelievably wonderful? The opposite. Oh, no. It it was four years of utter torture, humiliation, misery. But it's changed since then quite a bit. When I went to Juilliard, it was known as, and 
my entire class will attest to this and other people who went at the same time period, it was a horrific place that broke you down to a pulp so that they could rebuild you. And they felt like the best training was to really destroy you and have you start from the very bottom. And it was the opposite. That was horrible. It was awful. There were, I mean, this is horrible to say, but there were a lot of suicides. No. It was, it was a horrific place. Yes. It's changed remarkably now. And in fact, the past, uh, prior to the current executive director, the past one reached out to all of us. And there were hundreds of us who went around that time. He reached out to all of us saying, please, we welcome you back. We want to help you heal. Wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. And So they were aware of this teaching method that was just destroying people. I don't know. If, I mean, it was the way they were teaching. They become much more aware of it many, many years later mm. when there was so much out there publicly mm. about how horrible that place was. Now, do I feel I was trained as an actress, mm. trained well? Yes. Interesting. Yes. I I mean. But was it worth it? Was it worth my nervous breakdown afterwards? No. How old were you when you went there? 19. Wow. Too young to go Too through young. that. Look, it did though. Having Juilliard on my resume, mm. I graduated and I was on Broadway three months later. Juilliard opened up every door I could possibly want. So for that reason, worth it. Mm. But it's still, I mean, it, I i think it was then and it is still to this day. Obviously, it's got this stigma attached to it now, but it's still known as one of the top performing yes. arts institutions in the world. Yes. In America, I would say that and the Yale School of Drama mm -hmm. are the top two here. And then you move on to London, of course. Yeah. You know, that's the just the as crown. wonderful. Yeah. Rada and uh, Lambda and Royal. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's Lippa, exactly. there's so many. Yeah. Yeah. So did you specialize in acting when you were at Juilliard? Versus singing and dancing? Yeah. Yes. Yes. I was a straight, and I would say all of us were what you call straight actors, mm. but many of my classmates developed these other skills and were able to take classes in dancing and singing absolutely but I didn't I chose you didn't, not you didn't to. want to be on on the musicals mm -mm. wasn't my mm. thing no and I forgive me if I'm wrong but I feel like your first when you said you went you're in Broadway three months after graduating from Juilliard and you played um in did you play Constance yes yeah. yes in Amadeus yes I played Constance and Amadeus when I was at school. What? Yes. And I read this about you and I was like, oh my God, because I, I too went to performing arts school and studied acting. But before that, I must have been 15 and I played Constance in a school play. And all I can remember from it, and I don't know, looking back, I don't know, I should have looked into this. I don't know if it's the actual script or if it was my sort of, drama teacher was a little perverted but the thing I remember from it so well is that I had to fake an orgasm whilst eating a strawberry okay that was your director <laughs> that was your director was that who... not real is that no. not oh my god stop now that's years of therapy 
that was Did you not, not do that on Broadway? <laughs> no, hell no. No. Oh no, this is really opening up a can of worms. But Constance, she seduces Savas. Salieri. Yes. Salieri. Yes, but she does not have an orgasm on stage. And she's not eating, well, she, of course she could be eating strawberries, sure. But orgasm, absolutely not. That is <gasps> not in the script. Oh my God. That's awful. I literally, I'm 35 years old. So it's 20 odd years ago. And I remember having to do that on stage. And I mean, in full honesty, I'd never even had a bloody orgasm. So Right. And my parents were in the audience and my brother was in the audience. And I'm still, <laughs> I can't believe it wasn't. Hell, no, absolutely not. Oh my God. Well, that's, you know, that's no Juilliard experience, but it's pretty up there with traumatic acting techniques. Wasn't it a wonderful role? Did you have a good time doing that? I did. I loved it. My favourite though, I love Shakespeare. Me too. My absolute, if when I was younger, I've all, I mean, I've always wanted to be on stage, which is something we'll get onto because I think that's something that hugely helps us now in what we yeah. do. Yeah. But when I was younger, I always, always wanted to be part of the Royal Shakespeare Company. Mm. And I loved, I did love the singing and the dancing. And then I got into a lot of stand up comedy. But mm. actually, to I do Shakespeare, <laughs> to do Shakespeare was oh, my absolute dream. I completely agree with you completely agree with you it's it the is. language isn't it yeah yeah the language and the words and I just think it's beautiful I hear that the current Hamlet on the West End is extraordinary there have been so many well it's the current one whatever that means I don't know who's in it either but apparently it's really quite wonderful and I'm I'm coming on Friday and I wanted to see a play and unfortunately my husband uh Shakespeare is probably the worst thing I could <laughs> Make him sit through, subject, so... Subject him to. Yeah. I know, you do either love it or hate it, don't you? Yeah. Well, I think it's difficult if... It's a hard language. It, mm. It's not easy for everyone. I think it's much easier for Brits to mm. understand it. It's part of your DNA in a way, you know? It's, mm. Although, um, I must tell you, I went to Stratford-upon-Avon just last mm, week. I was yeah. driving somewhere with my mother and we stopped off for lunch and it was a terrible town. Awful. Really? <laughs> it's it's oh. so it was on a Monday and it was grey and miserable and everything was shut and you've got Shakespeare's the house the, the house that he was born in which is beautiful right. Right. but otherwise it's just a very I don't know it's just very dull but I imagine in the summer with the tourists it right. would be something else but no we're, yeah. I mean we're very very lucky over here in England as well to have all that history I think yes oh god yes so Absolutely. how long were you were you a working actress for a working actress for 10 years. I had to stop against my wishes. Right. But I had, I would say, I had a fantastic 10-year career and very lucky. But, you you know, when you're an actor, you never know when your next gig is happening. You don't know how long you'll be out of work. You don't know how many auditions you have to go to and keep getting rejected over and over and over again until you're not. Mm. And... I reached a point in my life, I had two babies, and I was married to a man who couldn't really keep us going as a household, and I had to figure out some a steady way of making money. So, and even though I had a great career, you never, I just, there was absolutely no stability or security, none. And were you film, were you stage and screen? Yeah. A lot of TV, actually. Quite a bit. But so one of us had, I had to figure out a way to keep this family afloat. So I 
taught myself, I faked, I literally faked my way, thank God to the acting skills, faked my way up the corporate ladder. I was not ed- not educated in anything that I was doing. Really? Juilliard, I, I mean, it was theater and a few prerequisites, one course of art history or something. You know, I was not yeah. equipped for anything other than acting. And that is my biggest advice to anybody who wants to go into acting. You better have a backup. Something else that you can do. But isn't it interesting? I imagine that you were told, like I was, from my parents, that exact thing. And then you would have probably said back to them, but like, well, I don't want, I don't need to. Exactly. No one listens. Exactly. No one, yeah. My son is a TV writer in Hollywood. Wow. He's been out of work now. Well, there was the writer's strike for seven months. Yeah. But he's been out of work and he's now saying, uh, I, I need, I need a job as a waiter. And I said, dude, I've been telling you for years, find something Mm. else that you can do. Mm. He's had huge successes as a writer, but he's unemployed now. And there's no money coming in. So same as an actor, same as a musician, have something else, have a backup. But it must be hard when you, especially when you have a certain level of fame, to then go back and do something else. Oh, really, really difficult. In England, we have these soap stars that are on our screens every single day and night and you know them, you know them. Mm, And then mm -hmm. they stop, they come out of work or they leave the soap and then they start doing TV commercials for mattresses and you think, oh God, they've fallen from grace. But I I think, well, what are they supposed to do? They can't work in a supermarket because they're famous. So what do they, it's, it must be near impossible to think of an alternative, which I suppose is why a lot of people stay in the arts just in a different right. way. And I also think having been in the arts and watching, looking at my son and his career and my father who was a conductor, my mother was a painter, so my life is in the arts. Mm. There is something that happens to you that it is, it is a journey that you are so committed and passionate. It's, your, it's what fuels your life, mm. is, your, is your artistic passion Mm. and very hard to look at anything else it's it's such a it's who you are it's yes yeah it is exactly exactly right it is I remember yeah there was um during the lockdowns when all the theaters shut right and there was a a clip that went viral on the internet of the actors from the West End doing a routine Mm. to a song from The Greatest Showman all around the empty streets of the West Mm. End in London. Mm. And I watched it and I just couldn't stop crying. And my my mum thought I'd lost the plot. She was like, what's... And I said, you don't understand because all these people, and it's not just the actors. It's not just... If it's a two-person play, it's not just the two people on stage. It's the entire crew, the entire right. team. It's the people who work in the box office. It's the cleaners in the theatres. It's all these people who that is all that they do. And to when, you're, when you've got it in your bones to perform in some way or another and you can't do it, it's, it's very hard to explain to people, isn't it, that don't yeah. have that yeah. innate sense of I have to. Yes. And it hurts to not be able yes. to perform or entertain or sing or dance or act or when it's in you, it's just something you have to do. You have to do it. Absolutely. And I don't know if a, an accountant or um, needs to 
fix numbers. Is this, well, yeah, exactly. I think yeah. it, it's not a calling and being in the arts is a calling. So how, so how did you wrestle with that then? Because you've got the sort of reality of your domestic situation and you've got, you know, so, I've only got one little girl, but as soon as you've got kids, that's it. Then it changes, doesn't it? You can't prioritize your own happiness and you have to be sensible about these things. So how did you navigate to go from when you have that calling and you've, and you've had this career for 10 years to then go from that to something more corporate, knowing that actually you have to put your, that need to entertain and that need to perform to one side and to do something that would be more financially viable? I think having these two babies at home was just, I had no choice. I truly had no choice. And I did it kicking and screaming and so reluctant. But I had no choice. Somebody had to put food on the table. I mean, that's that was really the bottom line. But then but then you say you started with no experience at the bottom of the corporate ladder. Not only did you climb that ladder, Tanya, you got to the top, you kicked it to the bottom, you found another ladder, you kept climbing, you reached the bloody heavens, for heaven's sake. (laughs) You went to the top. You went to the top of the corporate ladder, didn't you? You know what? You're the perfect person. Every morning I'm going to call you because that little little pep talk of telling me my voice is like chocolate, for God's sake. I mean... Milk chocolate. You would make... (laughs) Like the hot chocolate you get in hotels when it's actually melted chocolate and you just right, add cream to right. it. Right, oh. Yeah, none of that instant shit. Just no, no, no. Just actual melted chocolate. Yes, yes, mm, yes. That's what your voice is like. <laughs> but you did. You're very impressive. But you yourself just said you had no knowledge or education in that world, so you kind of faked it. I really did fake it. I really faked it. Um, and I had some very cool jobs where it was so much fun faking it. It was great. And I, yes, I just, and I, I switched things that I was, you know, different sort of careers, iterations of careers for, I don't know, 20 years or 15 years, something like that. And then it was my second marriage four and a half years ago, second wedding that became a, also a, a calling in a way. And mm. that's so, so cheesy to say calling. No, but it's but true. I think it is true. And it was, you didn't ask me how I got into the wedding industry, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Tell me. I want, to know, I want to know everything. I've got all day. So I was in this, you know, glamorous, lucrative, fabulous career working for luxury brands and doing public relations and corporate philanthropy and traveling all over the world with, you know, a platinum Ex- American Express card as an expense for an expense account. It was the life. Yeah. And. Our wedding was covered by the New York Times in one of every Sunday, they do a full page, or, you know, a big feature on one couple every su- a Sunday. Oh. And we had been chosen. And the writer came to our wedding. And after the ceremony, uh, so meanwhile, I knew nothing about ceremonies, vows, nothing at all. I was doing something completely different. But did you not know that? Because who, so who married you in your first marriage? Oh, a uh, Unitarian priest. No okay. religious, no, I'm Jewish and my ex was Catholic. So it was a non-religious ceremony. Right. Second time around, my daughter married us and she wrote much of the ceremony. We wrote our own vows without any, having any idea of what we were doing. But the time, the New York Times writer afterwards, she came up to me, she said, Tanya, I know you're happy in your corporate life, blah, 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 but 
you belong in the wedding industry. And I said, why? What for? And she said, I've, <laughs> I've never... already married, you silly thing. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Right. And she said, I've covered hundreds and hundreds of weddings for the times, and I've never seen such a beautiful ceremony. You need to do something with this. And I thought, well, <sighs> I had written the ceremony for my daughter, and we'd written our own vows, but without, you know. And literally a month later, I quit my big, fabulous job. And I started this business, but without a business plan, without a strategy, without anything, just an idea. And my husband, who's a spreadsheet, very linear, black Mm. and white guy, Mm. still tells me how crazy I was for doing this. (laughs) I bet he thought you'd lost the plot. I bet he thought I just married this woman and now she's... (laughs) Yes. What is she doing? Yeah. You know, and I thought she... Yeah. And it was, I had lunch with one of the wedding guests a week after the wedding. And I said, what do you think about, I don't know, me helping people with their vows and stuff? And he said, oh my God, you're the vow whisperer. And that's how that, that's how that name came about. So yeah. And it just, so that was about four years ago, just over four years ago. Yeah. Four years ago. So had you had any experience writing? Before that, like when you were when you were doing stage and screens, you you didn't do any writing at all. No, and I still really technically don't do writing with the method that I have. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't do the writing. My method is very different because, in terms of the the vow work, because I also marry people and I have a few other services. But the vow work, I don't pretend to be a writer. There are vow. There are some fantastic vow writers out there. Mm. Not that many, a few. Mm. But my method is very different. It's it's that I really believe that it should be in the couple, in the person's voice using their words, not mm. mine. So I get everything out of them through a questionnaire, through interviews, through all kinds, you know, phone calls, whatever. I get all their wonderful experiences, their memories that they're going to remember forever, some good, some bad. What was it like when they first locked eyes? What was the proposal like? How has this person made you make you a better person? You know, all of these things. And they answer me and I use those words to craft their vows. And then we edit together. It's very collaborative. And of course, I will edit and put in my suggestions using my words, of course. But really the launching pad is a set of vows a hundred percent using their words. So that that is a different method. It's 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 fascinating to me because what you just described, I would still say, in essence, you are a writer. Perhaps mm. you're almost you're almost like the ghostwriter of their vows. You know, they're the author and you're just sort of you're the puppeteer in the background and just sort of yeah. giving suggestions and nods and yes. But I would still say I mean, you must be a writer to some extent, even when when you do your ceremonies in full. Yes. Um, is that just something you picked up then? The writing? Yeah. I mean, I've always written, but not to this extent. Um, it's, it, yeah. Do I you mean, read a lot? I used to. It's terrible. I used to be a voracious reader and I stopped and I need to, I need to start again. I know, but it's finding the time, isn't it? 
It's finding the time. There used to be time. I used to do it. Every night before going to bed, I would read a half an hour. Now there's so much to watch on TV. I, know. I, you know, I can't read. I've got shows to catch up well, on. Well, this is it. But you know, people say that you shouldn't have screens sort of oh, within half an hour going to bed. Well, this is it. I mean, last night, my husband and I weren't in bed until midnight because we, we were watching one of those series that you go, oh, God, one more episode, one more which, episode. Which one? Which one? It's called Trigger Point. It's a British okay. drama about okay. uh, an explosives team in London. It's brilliant. I'm writing this down. Trigger Point. It's so, so good. I mean, I'm biased, but I do think that the British dramas that we produce are just next level. But I know that if I went to bed and opened a book, I'd be asleep within half an hour. Yeah, exactly. If I'm tired, I'll be asleep. Then I yeah. won't even finish the page. So I know right, it's much right. better for me. I just can't be asked. <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> I just want to. I agree. I agree. I, it's. I'm. T- I'm. I promised myself that on the flight to London on Friday, which is a day flight, not a night, I am taking a book and I am not opening up my laptop. No, you're not. You're going to open your laptop. And you know I will. Movies. Yeah, of course you are. You're going to watch all the movies and <laughs> you're going Let's to have see. a wonderful time. Let's see. So yeah. when you say you're, you've got the vows and then you've got the celebrancy, well, we call it, yes, I'm I know. celebrant. Do you call yourself an officiator or? Officiant. Officiant. So you're an yeah. officiant. I'm a celebrant. The main difference, I think, with that on your side of the pond is that it's legal. Yes. So what I do isn't legal. Oh. I'm a fraud. <laughs> I'm an absolute <laughs> bloody fraud. No, it is in some of the United Kingdom, but not in Great Britain. It's not legal really? here. Mm. So all my huh. couples have to get married uh, in the registry office at the, right. the council offices. And then they just sort of sign the piece of paper and then they come to me and we have the wedding ceremony. I think it's like that in many countries. Mm. It, so it's not as hugely known here as it is in America because obviously you can just sort of go on the internet and become legal, uh, legally right. able to marry people. Right. But whenever, so whenever I've had American couples, I've had quite a few American couples recently, but the buggers keep coming over here. I don't, I, don't, I want to come to you. I don't want. Right, right. I'm trying exactly. to sell the Olivia Coleman angle, but it's just yes. not working for me. <laughs> Good one. Want, Very good one. Bring me over. So, and so for me, because offering the celebrancy ceremony is so personal, I find that not many of my couples, English couples, want to write their own vows. Mm. Because for many reasons, one of which I think is because as people, we're not quite as emotionally open. Right. As a lot of Americans. Right. But... I think also they don't know how to even begin. So if I was coming to you and I had, how would it work? How does your process work? If I decide that I want to write my own vows, but I need a bit of help. So the process, it depends on which option you choose with me. Mm -hmm. It's either more of me or less of me. The vow work is also combined with phase two, which is using my acting skills. It's coaching on the delivery. Mm. It's being... People could write the most beautiful words on this planet, but if you don't know how to say them or deliver mm. them properly, it falls flat. Everyone's looking at their phones or their watches like, when is this over? So the delivery is just as important, if not more important. And that is learning how to enunciate, having the right body language. I see all of that stuff. How to 
project your voice, how to work with the microphone, how to work with the videographer's lapel microphone, you mm -hmm. know, and just the whole entire picture. So the vowel work is really two phases. Mm -hmm. It's the writing and then the delivery. And I have different options. Either you want less of my time or more of my time. When you choose more of my time, then it's sort of this unlimited practice thing that, you know, even up to your wedding day, if you want to practice with me on FaceTime, we can. So, but the process really is we, we work on the vows and ideally someone comes to me early on in the process, not last minute, which does happen. Yes, I can imagine because the people think they can do it and then they're a week away and think, shit, I can't do it. Exactly, exactly. Or, you know, they're writing on the back of a napkin the, the morning of. Or, yeah, oh, um, yes. people think they can. It's, it takes time. It takes time. And actually, I, you know, ideally I want a few months with someone. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, because the questionnaire that I send, I ask them to sit with that for about a month. And the reason is it's a working document that they keep coming back to over and over and over again because – You'll change and delete and edit your answers. For example, what are the qualities you love so much about this person you're about to marry? And you can think of 8,000 things today, seven more tomorrow. You're on the tube or this road yeah, or whatever. Yeah, it just comes and, to you. And you'll go back and you'll change and you'll edit. And, you know, and I, so that's why it's a, it's a document that I ask people to really take their time on. It's very thought provocative. It's very self-reflective. And it takes time to bring up all of these memories mm. and, and jot them down. It's only when a person is truly, you know, feels that they've answered the best they can, it comes back to me. And then it's the editing process back and forth, back and forth until we finalize. And then practicing, I want to make sure there's enough practice time. So that's why a few months to many months is ideal. Do you find sometimes that you have a couple and they... They assuming they always both write their own vows. You can't have a, a couple where one. Yes. Yeah. Very often there's it's one person out of the two who says I don't need your help. Oh, interesting. Is it is it more men that need help? Yeah. Not necessarily. <laughs> no, not necessarily. Oh, really? No. Sometimes I find men are far more expressive. That's a whole other theory I have. That's interesting. Yeah, and and my theory is is because as women. We share a lot more together. Our friendships are far more, we're an open book, mm. at least I am. Yeah. And, you know, we share a lot. We gab together. We yak, yak, yak about all kinds of things. Men don't do that. They're very closed off or, you know, they're sitting watching a football game together and that's considered a friendship. Yeah. And, you know, or, or you're in a bar having a beer and, you know. They don't it's, actually communicate, whereas us women, my husband finds it fascinating how I can spend all day with my mum and then I get home and I phone her. And he's like, what on yeah, earth have yeah. you got to say? Yeah, oh, exactly. He's, yeah, he's right. And the thing is, with men, I've given them this questionnaire. I'm starting to ask all kinds of questions. The faucet goes on. They have yeah. not been able to unleash any of this because ever. Because people don't ask them. Right. I think, are you like this in real life? Because I get told off from my friends because I do ask and not just in my questionnaires. If I'm in the pub with my friend's new boyfriend, I'll sit down and go, hi, I'm Liv. Tell me about your childhood. Like <laughs> I, I, I don't beat around the bush. I right, ask these right. questions because I'm fascinated by people. Yeah, Are you the I, same? Do you yes. just want to know everything? Yes. And very often it's just 
too much, you know, mm. but I'm, I'm very, very curious. Yes. That's Absolutely. so interesting. So yeah. they, but do you find that, I suppose the contradiction here would be that people come to you for help, but then they mm. don't necessarily offer much through this questionnaire or they're not very cool. open. I can imagine that you get sometimes a people sort of, okay, yeah. I want your help, but then it's almost a bit of a, oh no, I'm, that's too much. I don't want, yes, do you find or- that? Yes, and it, sometimes they answer in a bullet point instead of oh. full sentences. Then I, you know, I said, let's get on a phone together, and I record it, and I ask them the questions, and I provoke and, uh, you know, just keep digging for more and more and more, and hopefully mm. get something that I can work with. But have you ever ha- had a, a situation where they've just not given you anything? Yeah. Yeah, but that's when talk. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But are you working with couples on their vows? Um, On occasion, not often, because, like I say, I would say fifteen twenty percent of my couples write their own vows, right? And um, half of that would be my American couples. Yeah, and I think that because of the nature of my ceremonies, they are so personalized. Mm. And in the address, for want of a better phrase, I right. tell their story and I answer, I speak about the questions that they've answered. So I'm sort of, ta- I'm sort of saying everything yes. they've said. Yes, yes. Already. So I think quite often they think, oh, well, as long as someone's saying it, then I don't want that vulnerability of right. saying it myself. So when I, when I marry or when I officiate, mm. And they have not done their vows. That's when I tell their story. But if they are doing their own vows, what's the point of me telling their story? It's all going to come out anyway, right? Yeah. Which is so, it's so funny to me. Sometimes I'll do a whole ceremony and then at the end they'll say, oh, you stole half my speech. And I'm like, well, you've you've read the bloody ceremony. Why didn't you? Right. Why are you repeating yourself? (laughs) How how many weddings a year do you do? Um, Between 40 and 50. Wow. Yeah, I can't say no, Tanya. Yeah. I, I, I'm obsessed. I'm absolutely obsessed with you my You love job. doing it. You love doing oh, it. Oh God, I love doing it. And yeah. I want to. I want to help everyone. And I'm. I'm terrible. I mean, do you suffer from imposter syndrome? You can't look at you. You're so fabulous. Oh God, no. Tell me, how do you suffer from it? Oh, what does time. it do? Really? I had a dream last night. Someone fancied me, and then I woke up this morning and thought, that's not going to happen, is it? You thought that? Yeah. <laughs> and then my That's husband not... said, I fancy you. I was like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> oh, my God. Please tell me you still do comedy. In my, in my ceremonies, I do. I'm sure your ceremonies are fabulous. They are. They are fun. They are funny. I do it. I do every as much as I can to help out people. I'm a firm believer. I used to work in a wedding venue. And... Mm. I'm a firm believer that this might just be my job, but actually to that person, it is their wedding day and it should be treated as such. Right. You know, and I do think that our shared um, experiences, education and passion for performing arts helps tremendously because it is a performance, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And that you must have had days. I've had ceremonies before where... My husband's pissed me off just from breathing that morning. And then I have to go and marry someone. And you're like, love is, <laughs> marriage is the best. But you've got to put it on, haven't you? You do. It's, it's, it's a performance. And that's why we're so good at it. How, how many ceremonies do you officiate usually? 
20 to 30 maybe. But you see, the officiating is just part of mm. what I offer. I, I coach. So in America, mm-hmm. 65% of couples get married by a family member or a friend. Really? 65%? Yeah. Yes. And then you have officiants and then you have clergy, priests and mm. rabbis. So those family members and friends, I coach a lot. Yeah. That's a huge part of my business. I write the ceremony in conjunction with a couple, not mm-hmm. the friend or the family member. And I coach that person how to run a ceremony like a pro. And that's a huge part of my business. See, now, how can you are? What's your argument for the because people have said to me in the past, well, you what you do isn't legal, so anyone mm. could do it. So right. I, can't, I just get my mate to do it. And then I find I struggle sometimes because of my imposter syndrome to sort of argue my case. How do you look at that argument of having the friend or family member as opposed to someone who is trained or is professional? I think the difference is massive. Mm. Yes, I've coached some people and I've seen what they've done and they've done a fabulous job. But for the most part, people are not they don't know how to hold a room mm. like you do. They don't know how to gauge the energy of their guests of the room, how to play off of that. They don't know how to improvise if needed, how to riff a little bit off of something you've just said, just because you're kind of feeling what's going on. They don't know how to project their voice, it, all of that. Mm. That's why what you do and how you do it is so important. And wedding planners cringe when they're told. Oh, oh I my, know they hate it, don't they? All suppliers hate it. <laughs> my uncle, my sister, my niece, my best friend is marrying us. And that's, it's cringeworthy for most planners. Yeah. Because yeah. Th- there's so much more to just standing yeah. up and yes. reading from the yes. script. When people say to me, oh, my wedding was perfect, nothing went wrong. I laugh in their face because something went wrong. You just didn't know about it. Mm, something. There you go. Something always goes wrong. And, it, you know, whether... The, the music stops halfway through her walking down the aisle or a kid starts crying or someone has a heart attack, as you say, I do. All of these possibilities (laughs) are really would take attention away. Exactly. Do you work only in America or do you work all over the world? For the vow work, it's all over the world, which is wonderful. Officiating, I'm all over America. I just got asked to do a wedding in Italy. (gasps) Wonderful. We'll, We'll see. I have done, yes, I have done a few overseas, but I want to get a lot more. Not in Britain. I'm not taking over your job. Thank you. No, no, don't I'm, worry. Send them my way. I will. Absolutely. We'll work in conjunction. <laughs> who, where do the majority of your couples come from who come to you for the help with the vows? Believe it or not, podcasts. That's really, really yeah. Podcasts and it might be other cl- former clients. Right. Wedding planners, they still don't think of recommending the vow. It it just, it doesn't cross their mind, even though I've tried to educate as much as possible. Mm. You know, sometimes wedding planners, not all, all but podcasts mm. are huge for me. Really? Yeah. And you chose me, little old me. Stop it. That's the imposter <laughs> syndrome. There you I go. Know, no. How do you, how do, how do listeners find you? Well, I don't know how the listeners of the podcast find me. The podcast listeners find me as a celebrant quite often, quite often once they, they start listening to my podcast just because they're engaged and then they hear me talk about the beauty of a celebrant ceremony and everything that 
that I can do and that any celebrant can do. And then they right. said, oh, okay. I had an inquiry recently and they'd said, oh, we'd actually booked a registrar, but now we've listened to your podcast. We want to book you, which is lovely because yes. it's such a personal thing, isn't it? Yes, yes. I think that's fantastic. Mm. And what a wonderful idea to do this podcast for you to get more business also. It's fabulous. Well, I just love it. I don't do it. You know, someone said to me the other day, is it popular? Do you have many listeners? And I said, I honestly couldn't tell you. I, I don't know. No. Drew might have told you, but I don't know if I have one no. listener or a million because I to me, it doesn't matter. I do it because it's fun. Right. And meeting, I mean, I enjoy the, the episodes where I talk about myself, <laughs> talk about myself, obviously. Um, but for me, the interviews, like I'm doing with you now, the interviews are, I'm, I've been so lucky to interview some incredible people who are mm. so interesting. Mm. That's and it's wonderful. because I do think the wedding industry can be quite a lonely place to work because mm. so often we're, we're all sort of self-employed freelancers working on our own. Right. And so it's lovely to have a sense of community where you can talk to people and share ideas and experiences. Do you know what Whipper is? No, wedding it sounds like ice cream. Doesn't it? Wedding International Planners Association. Oh. I'm on the board here of the New York chapter. It's international, but the the one in Great Britain is in Dublin. The whip in Dublin. Dublin. Look, okay, so this is a f- wonderful networking community based organization that is just. I love it. I I have met more people at the events, and it's something to to look into. I mean, it's a schlep. It's a a trek for you to get to Dublin. No, well, it's half an hour on the plane. Okay. I've only been there once before for my husband's 30th and we literally went for 24 hours. Yeah. Mm. I'll go to Dublin. I'll go anywhere. So I I want to, I'm going to send you the link. Send me the link. And then, and then um, go on there and just take a look. It's, it's wonderful to be part of, if you want a community, that's it. Well, absolutely. Because that's the other thing with what we do. I suppose with your vow work, a lot of it may be remote and you have, like you say, a few months of time to work with the the person. But when you officiate ceremonies, there's always that fear that you might become sick or that something might happen. There's no one that can replace you, is there? I know. I know. And I have have done weddings sick before. Mm. Um, I've never had to try to find somebody to replace me last minute the day of, and I hope to God I never. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure. And do when you couples... warm up? Do you warm up before your ceremonies? I oh, do. Do you? Do you do, do copper bottomed coffee pot? What? <laughs> copper bottomed coffee pot. Copper bottomed coffee, coffee pot. pot. <laughs> or... I have. Unique New York, of course. New unique New. Oh, you're giving me new ones here. Unique New York. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, that's a good one. What do you do to warm up? I actually go through the ceremony a few times. Oh, but warming up my my yeah my voice. I'll do, you know, wee, 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 whatever. Yeah. yeah well, I realized I I like stretch my mouth. I do like face yoga, but yes. I realized quite early on that I was doing that at the beginning of the ceremony whilst looking out to the guests and I looked like I was just gurning, <laughs> which is not a good look. So I now I turn around and have my back to them when I'm doing it. But also my my favourite thing to do to warm up my voice is just to sing in the car on the way there. I have certain songs that put me in the mood. 
That's sweet. Now, do you, do you do this mostly in the town that you're in or do you travel? No, I go all over the country and then really? and bits and pieces in Europe. I had the most incredible wedding in uh, Namur on the outskirts of Brussels last year. Really? Mm-hmm. In a little chateau. And it was so beautiful and so stunning. And everyone there was so well-educated. <laughs> and, and I didn't realize until I got there that they were all very fancy sort of political figures. Mm. And they worked at the Times mm. and the Telegraph. And they were all very fancy Nancy. And then I sort of rocked up. How did they find you? Well, they loved me. But how did they I, find you? Oh, how did they actually find me? Yeah. <laughs> they found me delightful. Oh, no. <laughs> Of course, of course. They, no, found how- me, <laughs> they found me on Instagram. Most of my uh, work comes from social media. Fascinating. I think that's the new, you know, I got engaged seven years ago and we still bought magazines. But I think, do people even do that anymore? I don't know. I think they just go straight on Instagram and Pinterest, don't they? Yeah, I look, I still do get my Vogue and my Elle magazine. Do yeah, I do. I bet you've been in Vogue, haven't you? In my previous life. There you go. Not in this life. Vogue weddings, can you imagine? That would be kind of cool too. Oh my God. I mean, there's so much out there that the things that people do and the money that people spend. Don't you find it strange how people will spend so much money relative to their budget on certain things, but they don't even consider spending money on their vows or their ceremony. And that's the whole reason they're there. Hello. This is what I am... I say this 10, 15 times a day. Mm. Make your ceremony the priority. It's why we're all there. It's why you're there. It's the beginning of your marriage, the beginning of the wedding celebration. That ceremony is key. Mm. And it's so often an afterthought. What's your take on the idea of inserting humor into vows? As long as it's balanced. And it's my job. You know, I work separately with the people, not together. They don't ever hear each other's vows until That's the moment of, yeah, never. It's top secret. It's my job to balance them out. So if one person is super funny and the other one is not, I need to, you know. Yeah. yeah. Marry them up. Yeah. There you go. Marry them up. <laughs> because there's, I was, I was thinking about it the other day and I was thinking when you see on um, some of the films and things and that it's comedy and I had a someone sent in a question to the podcast the other week about how can I put humor into my vows and I mm. I feel quite passionately that it, it needs like you say it needs to be appropriate as well I think oh, yeah. that full-on mm. jokes they should be kept for a speech later on during the wedding breakfast a little sort of <laughs> you know that's exactly. fine Exactly. No, I, I agree. So, I mean, and especially if it's an inside joke that only your future spouse is going to understand, forget it. Don't even, don't bring it up. Don't, no one's don't. going to understand what you're saying. No one cares. No one cares about your inside you jokes. Exactly. And what about length of vows? What would you recommend be the, the best length? Ideally, 450 to 500 words which is about, depending on how fast you speak, three minutes-ish. Mm, that's good. I would never suggest more than three minutes myself. Have you ever done a, a vow that where someone's burst into song? No, thank God. But Could you imagine? Yeah, I guess, yes. It always makes me think of the film School of Rock when <laughs> Jack Black right. quotes the Whitney Houston lyrics. Right, <laughs> right. Absolutely, yeah. And who... 
who would you say do you recommend to go first? Because my couples quite often, oh, you go, no, you go, and they don't know who should who should go first. What no, do you I, think? I ask them to decide. Maybe once or twice if so, Tanya, you decide. Or Tanya, decide with a flip of a coin during the ceremony. I've had to do that a couple of times. Really? Yeah. I don't know what the point is, really. Just but a yes. bit of fun. Do you yeah. think it's because they're worried that they'll cry? Yes, that is mm. the reason. Yes. So very often it's the more emotional one who should go first. If they, have you ever had it where they're crying so hard they can't get the words out? Yes. What do you do? Do you take over? No, but I, I coach people through what could happen if this happens. And most of the time they actually use the technique or I'll just put a hand on their arm just mm. saying, it's okay. And they know I'm pretty calming. You know, and they You're know. You're incredibly calming, yeah. Thank you. A chocolate calming voice. I know. So I know. my hand on their arm, and I just tell them, take a breath. Let's not keep going until you're ready. And they get it together and keep going. Because there's no rush. Is no, there? exactly. You don't have to rush through these three minutes. No. If you're hysterically crying, just take a moment. It's okay. We'll wait. I'm just imagining it. <laughs> I would be mortified if someone said their vows to me and they didn't cry mm, I, w- I would want full, point. just like a silent tear you know just one up. yes 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 just a very quiet trickle yes have you got yes. do you have in new york in america do you have seasons in the way that we do is is wedding season coming up for you there is a wedding season which is what may through october mm. But I think since COVID, people are getting married outside that season mm. quite a bit. And also, I suppose if your vow work can sort of take you with the couple for a few months, then it's all year round, really. It is. You, it, it? it The vow work is all year round. Yes. Do you absolutely love it? I do. I really do. Yes, I, I do. Because it's, it's, again, it's coming back to my original passion. It's a performance. And it's a high that I get, you know, I love, I absolutely love standing there. Yes. It's an honor, isn't it? It is an honor. And though, okay, I have a question. Oh, okay. On Instagram, in the UK, when a planner or photographer or florist posts a wedding, Mm. are you as the celebrant credited in the whole list? 80% of the time, yes. You are? Okay. But not always. Here it's forgotten. Really? Yeah. It's not included, which I think it's terrible. It's really, really awful considering it's quite an important job. Uh, Yes. Yeah. And sometimes I'll text the wedding planner saying, hey, could you add me to the post? Absolutely. And also, I mean, I do often have to email the photographer to ask for the photos. Right. I often have to do that. But if they're normally, they're quite good. But also I do a reel of every single wedding that I do. So within two or three days of the wedding. So it's kind of, it reminds the other suppliers that I'm there. Right. (laughs) But also, I'm I'm sure you have this. Nine times out of 10, the weddings that I have officiated they say that the ceremony was the best part of their wedding. That's how it should be. Yes. Absolutely. It's Absolutely. the reason you're there. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, I am think you are a fabulous to start a whole day with. My God. Yeah, what what, the- what else have you got planned? Walk Grand Central Park. I love it. Have you have you um officiated many weddings in sort of New York landmarks? 
historical mansions, for example, or I'm not sure if they're landmarks, really. Just incredibly beautiful places. Yes, 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 yes. Can you get married in Central Park? Absolutely. During COVID, that's all I did. Really? I would marry people in Central Park, and all they needed was a witness. And, yeah, did a lot of that. Did you? Oh, how wonderful to get married in Central Park. I mean, obviously not their ideal. Did you have limited numbers, limited guest numbers at the weddings during the lockdowns? I mean, it was all elopements, really. Was it? Or people who wanted to get married like desperately for legal reasons, health insurance or visa things or whatever it was, Mm. people who couldn't wait. And so it was tiny, tiny, tiny weddings, yes. Do you find that quite difficult to write vows or or write the ceremony when you know there's only going to be one or two people at the wedding? I do have to tweak the language a little bit, not for the vows. Well, for Mm. the vows, if it's just them, then I don't have a time limit. I say, write what you'd like. It's just Mm. us. And we can cut most of the ceremony if your vows are really long, if that's what you want the focal point to be. Well, yes, I suppose if people aren't there to say, God, that went on a bit, then you can go on as long as you want. How do you... When people are writing their own vows, how do you work out how to fit 10, 20 years of memories and love and experience? How do you fit that down to three minutes? It's a lot of editing. It's a lot of cutting. It's hard. It's very difficult. And do you sometimes find that they might have a memory that they think is wonderful and you think, "Mm, hmm. Yeah. Yes. Because, and I'll cut it. I'll cut it. I'll just delete it. Bruce. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, but I'll explain. This is not a. Sorry, but... <laughs> it's not cutting the mustard. <laughs> it's not working for me. I'm not Sorry. entertained. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I just think, I just, I've so I've been so nervous to talk to you and I've just oh, had Liv. such a lovely time. Me too. I could Thank talk you to so you for much. hours. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Thank you. It's been wonderful. I've had just as fun, as much fun as you. Welcome to this week's RSVP, 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 RSVP. I, do you know, at the beginning of this season, I asked people to send me jingles. Only a few did, and they were not good, if I'm totally honest. So if you could get back on that. In fact, this is a personal call out to Zoe from the band, you know, the Tux Fizz, the band Tux Fizz, who recently were crowned top wedding band in the UK for a second year running at the Wedding Industry Awards. Um, so Zoe, the personal shout out to you, if you could please write me a jingle. I know you're busy, okay? Very, very busy, busy as a bee, walking through treacle. But if you could spare five minutes, if you could, that'd be great, thanks. So this this week's, this week's DM was slid to me from Francesca and she writes, Hi Olivia, really enjoy listening to you every week. I was just wondering if you have any funny stories about pets or animals animals being part of wedding ceremonies or receptions. We have a small dog and I really want him to be the ring bearer, but I'm nervous that something might go wrong. What are your thoughts? Thanks so much, Francesca. Um, uh, you know, I'm not a dog person by nature. <laughs> I'm not an animal person by nature. We have a family dog and I love him, but apart from that... Um, I don't hate a dog ring bearer. 
which I think is saying something given that I just admitted I'm not an animal person because that is like the epitome of animal person chic. Um, but I think actually it's very cute. And to be honest, if you are an animal person and you love your animals and they are like your children, then it makes total sense that they have some sort of a part of your wedding day, doesn't it? Like, I think it's, yeah, I think it's totally normal to include them in some way or another. A lot of my couples want to in include them, but they don't for various reasons. Um, one being that actually the, the animal wouldn't like it that much. Um, and another being that who walks it where does it go what does it do um you know do we have to pay for a, a specific dog meal to go alongside the bride and groom that kind of thing there are so many people that you can get to um look after your pets at your wedding but obviously that's an extra expense to consider in terms of funny stories i once when i worked at the wedding venue i had a really lovely meeting with a couple who I consider to be relatively normal, although, you know, who am I to judge? And at the end of this hour and a half meeting, we're sat having coffee, chit-chat, chit-chat. Basically, I was like, right, seal the deal. They're coming here. They're, they're going to book the venue. And then right at the end, she was like, oh, before I leave, before I forget, I must ask, do you allow pets to come to the weddings? And so I was like, well, it's not something we encourage, to be honest, for various reasons. And they would have to leave before the main meal is served. But if you would like a small, well-behaved, well-trained dog to come for the ceremony and the drinks reception for photos, then that's absolutely fine. And he looked me dead in the eye and was like, right, it's not a dog, it's a hamster. So uh, where do we stand on hamsters? We stand on their backs. Oh, no, that's awful. I can't say that. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, that's what it, they, he wanted. He wanted to bring his hamster in a cage. Like, and I mean, like, what do you say to that? I didn't know. I'd never been asked that question before because it's bloody ridiculous, isn't it? I had a couple once. I think I've said this before on season one, but I had a couple once who really, really liked their cats. I mean, they were cat people and they couldn't bring them to the wedding for whatever reason. So instead, the alternative they thought would the best option would be to make life-size cardboard cutouts of their cats and then sit them next to their places at the wedding breakfast so there's that animal people are <laughs> unique <laughs> but if you love your pets whatever pet they may be may they be dog or lizard uh hamster or rabbit you bring them you bring them if it's safe for them and for you and for me, quite frankly, you bring them. But I'm not I'm not going to love officiating a ceremony with a dog howling in the background because that's just not my journey. But I support you, Francesca, in all of your endeavours. Thank you so much for listening. It really does mean the world. If you find this podcast even remotely helpful or moderately entertaining, share with all your friends and family. You can DM me any questions, queries, if you want to share any stories on the podcast Instagram at I'll Marry You Podcast. Get in touch. I want to hear all your tall tales. See you soon. I'll Marry You is a podcast by Olivia Coleman. The music is Mr. Sunnyface by Wayne Jones and the show is produced and edited by Drew Toynbee.